Well, good morning, everyone. How you doing? It's nice to see uh, bright sun and blue skies, yeah? Spring is coming. I can sense it. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, as most of you know, we're in, a, uh, we're in a series, a current study series called Wild Goose, uh, which is intended to be a theological overview of the Holy Spirit. And if you've missed any of it so far, I encourage you to uh, go online and listen, or you can download it and then listen at your convenience. But uh, I think those first two studies, uh, parts of the study were important to, uh, um, to all that we're doing in it. So if you missed any, go on and, and check it out and do some catch up. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning or, and you're somewhat perplexed by the title, uh, just so you know, there are a number of metaphors in Scripture, Old and New Testament, uh, used to depict the Spirit, uh, the most famous being that of a dove. But apparently ancient Celtic Christians weren't all that familiar with doves, and so they adopted their own metaphor. They referred to the Spirit as Anged Glas or the wild goose. And uh, I'm not of uh, Celtic origin, but I chose to go with the um, metaphor for this, this series because I think it uniquely portrays the power, the freedom, uh, the grace and majestic nature of God's Spirit. And so as we consider, uh, continue our study this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Hopefully you have a Bible with you. If not, uh, you can use one that you should find down in one of the chair racks around you. And if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll make sure you get one, but I encourage you to bring it. Ephesians chapter 4, I, wanna, I want us to consider this morning what the Apostle Paul says, and this is a, a letter that Paul wrote to uh, Christians in the city of Ephesus. I want to consider what he says uh, to Christians about what's known as the gifts of the Spirit. And here in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, Paul writes this. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill, uh, fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As we had started, let, let me just say that over the, over the years, the many years that I've been involved in ministry, I have seen Christians go to varying degrees um, and extremes when it, when it comes to this whole topic of spiritual gifts. You know, some churches are kind of obsessed with them, or at least a limited number of them, while others seem to ignore them altogether. And so my goal this morning is to try and help us uh, gain a biblical uh, balance in terms of our view and understanding of spiritual gifts, because they, you know, they carry some very serious and practical implications for what the Christian church should look like and how it should function in the world. So I'm going to answer some basic questions, and let's begin by answering the, the most obvious question, what are spiritual gifts? And there's a number of ways that you could say it or state it, but here's my, here's my best attempt at a definition. Spiritual gifts are differing abilities given to us by God apportioned by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to meet needs in such a way that it creates a community of people growing into the fullness of the character of Jesus. 
Now, I know that's a mouthful, but uh, I, think that, I think that summarizes uh, the issue um, pretty well. Uh, when it comes to specifics uh, of, in terms of spiritual gift, there are f- gifts, there are five lists of spiritual gifts found in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul offers four of those lists. He offers a list uh, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12. He offers two lists in his letter to the Corinthians. He offers this list here in Ephesians as he writes the letter to that church. And then the Apostle Peter gives a list uh, in his letter to the church in 1 Peter chapter 4. All five lists are different, and therefore none of them are exhaustive. And it's safe to say that even when put together, not all spiritual gifts are necessarily identified in these lists. Now, unfortunately, we we don't have time to read through the lists, all of them, but uh, if and when you do, and I would suggest that you do at some point, what you're going to find is that the gifts fit into sort of um, functional categories, if you will. Uh, For example, some gifts center around the ability uh, to communicate truth, teaching, preaching, evangelism. Uh, Other gifts center around the ability to care for people and to bear one another's burdens, encouragement, mercy, uh, service, prayer, giving, helps, hospitality, and so forth. Uh, Other gifts center around the ability to provide direction, leadership, administration, discernment, wisdom in terms of counseling. Um, But overall, here's the deal. There is no human need physical, material, intellectual, emotional, relational, or spiritual that does not have a gift uh, that addresses it. I mean, some gifts help bring healing to us when we're wounded. Some encourage us when we're down. Some challenge us when we're faltering or correct us when we're going astray or love us when we're lonely or provide for us when we're lacking or inform us when we're ignorant. In short, God gives his people all the abilities necessary to meet all the needs around us without exception. Which brings us to question two, who gets these spiritual gifts? And uh, here in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verse 7, Paul gives the answer. He says, to each one of us, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Or as he puts it in his letter to the Corinthians, there are different kinds of gifts, but to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given. Translation, every Christian, every follower of Jesus is given at least one, and in most cases, a variety of spiritual gifts, which if you think about it, when coupled with individual passions and preferences and gender and nationality and life experiences, allows for an incredible and a wonderful degree of diversity within the Christian church. In fact, because such diversity extends from individual to individual, it must also logically extend, it seems to me, from group to group. In other words, the gift mix from congregation to congregation to congregation is equally unique, and therefore each, each uh, local church is unique. Every now and then, uh, someone will come up to me and ask me about you know, in my opinion about why there are so many Christian dominations and so many Christian churches. And I don't know for sure, but I I think one of the reasons can be attributed to the rich diversity uh, of spiritual giftedness represented among God's people. You know, I think another reason might be sin and our inability to get along, but, but that's a topic for another day. But here's the point. Spiritual gifts make us unique. Uh, You know, scripture doesn't say some believers get them or super believers get them or certain believers get them. No, Paul says, We all get to each one of us, he says, to each one of us grace is given. He didn't say just the religious professionals or the ministry full-timers get them, but to every one of us, to each and every one of us, every Christian, there goes a portion of spiritual gifts. You think about Jesus, he had every gift possible, right? I mean, he had had the abilities to communicate truth and and to teach and to, to, to care for people, to bear burdens, to give direction. And there's just no way that individually we can do all of that like him. But together, as we share our spiritual gifts... Through the empowering of God's Spirit, 
every need gets met. And that's why the apostle Peter writes and says, he says to Christians, each one of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others, which raises the third question, who are spiritual gifts for? And in a way, it's, it's a bit of a trick question because while it's true, we each receive a spiritual gift or gifts. And so they're intended for us. At the same time, they're not for us. You say, Ray, what are you talking about? Well, let me put it another way. As a follower of Jesus, certain, certain spiritual gifts are given to me, but are actually for you, for your welfare, for your growth, for your maturity. And, and, and see, this is where, you know, this is where some Christians get uh, off track when it comes to this, this whole area of theology. So listen very carefully. Um, without exception, every spiritual gift is given for the benefit of others. They're never given for self-gratification or self-edification. That goes against the very nature and purpose of the gifts. Not one of God's spiritual gifts is given for self-service. For example, a Christian uh, with the gift of helps must by very definition be involved in serving others, just as the gift of service by very definition involves helping others. And so, you know, in the broadest sense, every gift is a help gift, helps gift because every gift is a service gift. Or, you know, think of it this way, the gift of teaching um, is a gift that helps others learn, right? Or the gift of mercy means you're, you're extending mercy to other people. So that's why the apostle Peter says to the church, he says to Christians, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to what? To serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And again, Paul writes, he says to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given. Why? It's given for the common good for everybody else. So long story short, any gift exercised for one's own edification is perverted because scripture is very clear on it. God gives spiritual gifts to us, but they're for others. And what's the ultimate goal of these spiritual gifts? Well, Paul tells us here in uh, Ephesians 4, although it takes him a while to get to it. Uh, As I mentioned last week, uh, ancient Greek New Testament manuscripts don't have sentence or paragraph breaks. Translators translators provide those um, for us based on grammatical structure and flow of thought. And sometimes it takes some work to actually follow Paul's ideas because they can be sort of long and involved. And this is an example of 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 a pretty long thought. So for the sake of time, let me summarize the flow of thought here. Paul says, look, every one of us, every Christian gets a gift or gifts. Some get... Some get more prominent gifts like the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip God's people for ministry, to help them prepare to serve others so that everyone is involved in ministry. And for what ultimate purpose? He says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, ministry in the church or the exercising of spiritual gifts it's not just about making you know, people happy or educated or fulfilled in some general way, but spiritual gifts form us into a unified body where we're, we're interconnected, interrelated. I, I've heard it illustrated this way. There's a difference between an aggregation and a congregation. An aggregation is like a bag of marbles. You have 1,500 marbles uh, all put in a bag in close proximity, but they're close together, but they really have no interrelationship with each other. They're not dependent upon each other for anything. A congregation, however, is, is, is more like a body because uh, the variety of our gifts make everyone different, yet we're all interrelated. We're all interdependent upon one another. We're all connected. You know, my gift, your gift is absolutely necessary to the health and welfare of the rest of the body, the rest of the church. And so the Holy Spirit forms us into this body 
in which we have different members uh, in different parts fulfilling different purposes and different, you know, very critical roles, hands, feet, eyes, nose, ears, that kind of body imagery Paul uses here and in his letter to the Corinthians. But the ultimate goal of all this, Paul says, is what? He says it's to attain or attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? It means that the ultimate goal of spiritual gifts is to help each of us become more and more and more like Jesus, who is humble and loving and gracious and honest and gentle and fearless and forgiving and wise and kind and patient, a truly self-sacrificing a sacrificing servant. And, and, and see, when spiritual gifts are exercised and applied, the result is that the recipients of those gifts grow in their Christ-likeness. Now, what are the implications of, of these spiritual gifts? And uh, I would have to say that first and foremost, the implication is this, there should never be any passive, uninvolved Christians in the church. I mean, look, if we're honest about it, and we, are, we say we, we, we believe and embrace the theology of spiritual gifts, then every one of us, without exception, will be in some way actively participating in the work of ministry and the functioning of the body. Earlier in this letter, Paul reminds his listeners, he said, hey, remember, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace, it's, it's not from yourselves, it's, it's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast about it. And then he says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, he's saying, if you, if, you, if you call yourself a Christian, then make no mistake about it. God has crafted and gifted you to do something special. And when added together, your gender, your ethnicity, your passions, your life experience and spiritual gifts imply that God has someone specific you know, in this world, in this community, in this congregation who needs you. Someone needs to be reached. Someone needs to be loved. Someone needs to be cared for, prayed with, provided for, counseled, served, taught, ministered to, and you are the best qualified person to do it. The question is, will you? If you don't, then somebody suffers. Somebody goes without. Some part of the body goes without. Now, I'm not sure that anyone here this morning would disagree with this theology. And yet some Christians say they believe it, but in practicality have trouble embracing it. Uh, For example, and I think I can speak to both of these based on our experience here. In small churches, there's often so much to do and few, so few to do it that, that Christians get involved in doing a whole lot of things that they're just not really gifted to do. And as a result, they end up feeling, you know, overworked and burned out and frustrated and discouraged because things may be getting done, but not done very well. Why? Because in a way, we ignore the theology of spiritual gifts. Because the fact is, I am not, I am not gifted to do everything, and neither are you. But sometimes we forget that and we try. You know, our, our motivations are good, but, but we end up just feeling burned out and discouraged, frustrated. But larger churches have an even greater challenge. How is that? Well, think about it. In essence, spiritual gifts equal output, right? I mean, ministry means offering yourself, reaching, teaching, leading, giving, helping, serving, doing something for others. And because that's true, a lot of people gravitate to larger churches like Parfis become in order to get lost in the crowd. You know, because in, in this kind of larger environment, chances are way better that you can show up and not get asked directly or personally to do something. And you can just kind of slip in and slip out unnoticed. You can come and get input and, and hopefully good biblical spiritual input and yet avoid output. But here's the deal. If you can call yourself a Christian, if you come to a church like this simply to receive 
and offer little, if anything, in return. No accountability, no involving yourself in others' lives, no, no using your gifts to help others grow in Christ-likeness, just passively attend and consume. Then, you know, I, I don't know how else to say it, but you are violating the Holy Spirit's will for your life. You are. Understand, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good things, good works, to serve others. Paul says, to each of us, to each of us is given certain gifts intended to help somebody else. And what it comes down to is, I need you. And the rest of the church, the rest of this body needs you. And if as a follower of Christ, you believe spiritual gifts to be a reality, well, then you have no excuse not to be using yours in serving others. But your actions will reveal what you truly believe. Another implication of spiritual gifts is this. Because of them, there should never be any arrogance or jealousy among us. Not really. I mean, look, due to the brokenness of human nature, every organization that I'm aware of struggles with some degree of jealousy and pride internally because, you know, some people end up being leaders and others don't. And then some people carry more influence in the organization than others, others carry less. And so in some instances, people with less distrust those with more and they're envious of them and bitter about it. And those with more sometimes lord it over others and get all puffed up about their, their prominence and their position. They start looking down at everybody else. But, you know, the church should be different. The church is different because for the church, the whole idea and reality of spiritual gifts is that God the Father sovereignly gives them, God the Son sovereignly apportions them, and God the Spirit sovereignly empowers them. In other words, we don't decide who gets what. It's God who knows what's best for us. He gets to do that. He decides. And that, you know, at least in theory, should eliminate pride and jealousy and instead produce humility and gratitude. You know, years ago, uh, when this church asked me to be their pastor, all that basically meant was that there was a small group of people here who recognized that God had given me some gifts that potentially, potentially, because I didn't know for sure, potentially enabled me to do that, to be their pastor. And And so I'm no different from anybody else here except in my spiritual gift mix, which even today, even to this day, I'm kind of confused about. The fact that I'm doing what I'm doing is mind-boggling to me, and I'm I'm humbled by it. And I I mean, sure, I have some unique gifts, but so do you. So do every single one of you. I I I look at so many of you week after week, month after month, and see how God has given you the gift of mercy. And how you care for people, all people, no matter who they are, where they're from, or what they look like. And I'm humbled by that. And I'm, I'm grateful for it because it seems, it seems I got left out of the mercy distribution line sometimes. That's how I feel, okay? So I look at people with the gift of mercy and I'm, I'm humbled by it. And I'm grateful for them. So, so many of you, um, out of the gift of hospitality, open your homes to life groups. And so many people are being changed because of that, because of your hospitality. And, and you're energized by that. And, and people are growing and benefiting from it. Some of you are gifted encouraged. You know, you always have a positive thing to say to build people up or do something to to lift their spirits. Others are gifted givers and gifted administrators. Many of you have the gift of helps. What is that? It's just the ability to recognize a need, clearly recognize a need, figure out how to meet the need, and then you go and do it. Listen, all of you have gifts that I don't. And so I need you in my life. And the body needs you. We need each other. Our gifts don't make us better or worse, just different, but different in a good way because we all have important roles to play in the body and God decides who he gifts to do what. 
And so obviously we need to identify our spiritual gifts, right? How do we do that? Well, there are, you know, there are books you can read, there are tests you can take, there are surveys to fill out. But here's the thing. When I was still a new Christian trying to kind of find my place in the church for the first time, you know, I, I studied some of the materials. I took the surveys and the tests. But other than, uh, to be honest with you, other than reading over what the New Testament describes as spiritual gifts to better understand them, the best thing that I did, I mean, the one thing that set me on a course of gift discovery was this. I just got involved. I found out where there was a need in the church and I jumped in. I said, I'm in, I'm ready to help. And it wasn't like I went directly to the front teaching. No, no, no. Uh, you know, the, one of the first places I served in ministry in a church was the nursery. My wife and I had just gotten married and we decided that we wanted to serve together. And she decided we, you know, Hey, she said, how about, how about we serve in the nursery? Okay. I'm just ready to help. And we figured out very quickly. I didn't have the right gift mix for that, for that ministry. Uh, you know, the whole diaper thing is definitely a spiritual gift. And, um, I didn't have that. And so the gifted encouragers in the nursery, uh, kindly suggested that I move on, you know, and I, I serve somewhere else. And, um, they freed me to do that. But see, that's what happens. You know, you know, you, you find out where there's a need. You say, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to help. You get involved. And then you, you begin to evaluate the experience and, and how your, your gifts are, are lining up with that. And your passions are lining up with that. And your, you know, your, your effectiveness is lining up with that. And then you, it also gives Christians around you the opportunity to see your gifts and see you in action and say, and affirm them, say, man, you're really good at this. God has really gifted you in this. Or as was in my case, get gently redirected. Okay. That's a good thing. You need to be in your sweet spot and, uh, getting involved and having others come around and affirm and help to redirect is the way we find those, those sweet spots. I can't tell you how often people come to me and they say, you know, I want, I want to be involved. How I, how do I know what my spiritual gifts are? I need to find out what my spiritual gifts are before I get involved. How do I know? Look, I can't gaze into your eyes and see what your spiritual gifts are. They're not written across your forehead or listed on, you know, on your scalp or anything like that. But I will tell you this, all you need to do to get started is get involved, find out what they are. You know, you, you can't, you can't steer an immobile vehicle. You know, the car has to be moving in order to direct it. So you need to get involved and get moving uh, and then, and then discover where those gifts are and where their strengths are. Here's another important question. Once we figure out what they are, how do we use our spiritual gifts correctly? And uh, there's one word that sums it all up, love. Do you realize the Apostle Paul and P Apostle Peter never talk about spiritual gifts without mentioning love? It's true. In his first letter to the church, as he introduced his list of gifts, Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Likewise, here in Ephesians 4, notice Paul says in verse 15 and 16, by speaking the truth in what? In love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. For him, for, for from him, the whole body joined and held together and by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up, itself up in love as each part does its work. And then in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul basically writes about spiritual gifts from, from uh, chapter 12 of that letter to um, chapter 14. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but smack dab in the middle of the discussion in chapter 13, Paul offers these famous words. He says, I will show you the most excellent way. He says, if I have gifts of teaching and prophecy and knowledge and faith and generosity, that's great. And then he says this, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. It means nothing. Well, what is love? Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It does. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it always protects and it always trusts and it always hopes and it always perseveres. Paul says, love never fails. 
I mean, let's let this sink in for a second here. He's talking in the context of spiritual giftedness and working together in the body. This is not the wedding uh, verse, okay? It often gets read at, read at weddings, and that's, that's fine, but that's not the context. He's talking about spiritual giftedness and us working together. And he says, love never fails. In a, wall, in a way, Paul is saying to Christians in the church, he says, look, if you're passive, if you're inactive, and you're not using your spiritual gifts for the benefit of the body, it's a lack of love because you're just being selfish and self-seeking. If you're burned out and you're frustrated and you're discouraged because you're trying to do everything for everybody, it's a lack of love because you're not recognizing and honoring other people's giftedness. If you're boastful and proud, it's a lack of love. If you're envious and angry and bitter, it's a lack of love. And here's the reality. If not exercised in love, our attempts at using spiritual gifts will divide us, not unite us. They'll weaken us, not strengthen us. It'll tear down the body, not build it up. Love is essential. Love never fails. And then finally, what is the nature of spiritual gifts? And Paul tells us that in verse 7 and 8. He says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Uh, In the ancient Near East, uh, when a nation was threatened by an approaching enemy, you know, coming to enslave and destroy, the king of that nation would leave his throne, go out to meet the enemy head on in battle. And if he was victorious and able to save his people from captivity and death, he would parade back to the capital city with captives in tow. He would ascend to his throne in victory and out of his riches won in battle he would lavish his people with gifts well paul writes verse 8 here he's quoting from the old testament psalm 68 that pictures god as the great victorious gracious king and he applies the imagery to jesus who descended his throne in heaven came to earth did battle with the enemy rescued his people from captivity and death then in victory ascended to his throne and with grace apportioned gifts to his people have you picked up on the nature or spiritual gifts yet? If not, get this. The primary New Testament Greek term for spiritual gifts is the term charismata, which comes from the term charis, which means grace. So the term literally means grace gifts, grace gifts. You see, just as it is with eternal life, you know, Paul says, by grace we're saved. It's not by works. It's the gift of God. Just as it is with eternal life, we cannot work for or somehow earn spiritual gifts. No, 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 no. They are unique God-given abilities apportioned by Jesus the victor to you, his people, to each one of us. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit and when exercised in love, brings the body of Christ together in health and growth and maturity or we're becoming more and more like Jesus. I mean, understand the nature of spiritual gifts is like everything else with the giving nature of God. It's always and only about grace. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for uh, Jesus, the King who who came, descended to earth to fight the battle and to deliver us from sin and captivity and death and to give us freedom and to give us life, who has ascended back to his throne and who has apportioned to us, his people, unique gifts and abilities to fulfill his purpose in this world and in his church. Thank you for the giftedness of your people here in this room and the unique abilities you've given to each of them and the mix of those abilities that make them so unique. And we recognize that somebody here, somebody in our community, somebody in our world needs our gifts to be exercised for their benefit. And I pray, God, that you would give us the courage to step out and in love serve and give ourselves for the sake of others. And as we do that together, we would be 
brought more into unity and into to growth and maturity uh, into more and more being like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.